Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of March 19, 2017. One of the hot topics these days is where to find books to read. There are hundreds of thousands of books and magazines published each year. The NLS Talking Book Program and its online service, BARD, offer tens of thousands of Braille and audio books, and Bookshare now has over 500,000 books available for download. Put these two wonderful services together, and you still have only a fraction of the reading materials available to the sighted public. At the February 24 Roundabout, sponsored by the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, Deb Trevino presented a discussion of books and other materials available through the Amazon Kindle. She also touched on other sources for books to read. Thanks to Dave Trevino and Adam Rushville, we are bringing you an edited version of Deb's talk on page 2. Listen and discover the many types of files readable through the Amazon Kindle and the Kindle app. One note. If you find all of Deb's information a bit overwhelming, please know that we will be revisiting this topic at future roundabouts and here on Soundprints, digging deeper into the specific types of reading materials and how you can access them. The American Printing House for the Blind Museum presents a Braille Reader's Theater every March, and this year was no exception. The first Reader's Theater presented The Miracle Worker. Another year, the museum held a playwriting workshop in the fall, and the plays performed in the March Theater were written by participants in the workshop. Last year, the Reader's Theater presented Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. The 2017 Reader's Theater consisted of five short plays by David Ives. Each consisted of a scenario presented in several different ways. A bell rings when one version of a scenario ends and another begins. Sue Ellen Milo was part of the Reader's Theater this year for the first time, and we chat about her experience from audition to performance on page 3. After the interview, you'll hear excerpts from the play Variations on the Death of Trotsky, with Sue Ellen as Natalia Trotsky, Ian Bray as Leon Trotsky, Justin Hedges, a student from the Kentucky School for the Blind, as the gardener, Roman Mercader. Stage directions were given by Terry Turlow, and Katie Carpenter directed the play. Some time ago, two Gallaudet students filed an ADA complaint with the U.S. Department of Justice against UC Berkeley, claiming that some 20,000 audio and video files available through the iTunes U and other similar resources were not properly captioned for the deaf and were not accessible for people who were blind. Last August, the Department of Justice found in favor of the students. If the University of California at Berkeley were to keep these voluminous files available to the public free of charge, the files must be made accessible to the blind and the deaf. Because the result of this action could, we fear, affect the availability of similar content from other universities and other content providers to the public, we have included on page 4 an article explaining the situation and UC Berkeley's action to remove the content rather than make it accessible. Also on page 4 is a press release from the American Council of the Blind in response to the UC Berkeley's actions. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. Deb Vito is going to do a presentation on the different ways you can download books, get books. So, Deb, I turn it over to you. Okay. Okay, basically we're talking about the world of books online. And there are a lot of alphabet soup acronyms I'm going to talk about just for your familiarity don't let it scare you because we're going to be going over these things later as we try different kinds of book formats so don't let it scare you the first thing I'm going to talk about is the Kindle now when I first heard of this thing I didn't even know how to spell it and I was really curious about it and I thought it was really cool because 
I saw somebody with one and it looked like a book and I thought, wow, this is neat. But it wasn't accessible back then. And now you hear talk about the Kindle Fire. And that's a later version of the Kindle. And the Kindle is what they call an e-reader, which basically means, duh, it reads e-books or electronic books. It is manufactured and sold by Amazon.com. It enables you to browse, buy, download, and read e-books. You can read newspapers, magazines, and other digital media as well on them. iBook. And you get them... Back button. Sorry. That's my other device I'm going to talk about. You can read other types of media via wireless so that the whole thing, you don't even have to plug it into anything other than just to charge it. You can download them and everything right there with the Kindle. Much as we can do nowadays with the Victor Stream. And it all comes from the Amazon Kindle store. So now I'm going to talk about types of books that these are the proprietary ones that Kindle uses, which are developed by, guess who, Amazon. The first one is, the computer will say Azul. <laughs> it's A-Z-W. And that was developed by Amazon, strictly for use with their range of Kindle ebook readers and they've got different ones they've got i think mine's at five and they're up to seven or eight now so i mean they keep developing more and, and they change them they have one that has paper white so it looks like a page in a book and you can do all kinds of highlighting and stuff with them did you get a headset with yours no but i did not buy mine brand new repeat what she asked she asked if i got a headset with my kindle and how do you turn them up I did not. It has a little button on the top of it. I'm going to show you guys what the Kindle looks like afterwards. So the AZW format is a proprietary format, which of course enables Amazon to sell directly to their own customers, and it's more a way to see that nobody else gets their content. It's used for books that use what they call DRM, more of this alphabet soup. And what that means is it's digital rights management. They do something to it to make it virtually impossible for you to steal the book. Now there's even an AZW3 format, and that's an extension that includes DRM as well, to run on the Kindle. It's a protection of their books. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, I, I do not have Kindle Fire, but can I get the Kindle app on my phone? Yes, you can. Even though I don't have Kindle Fire? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I did that first, and I have lots of Kindle books on my phone and on the Kindle. I just bought the Kindle in the last few months, and I'm not real good with it yet. So how much does the Kindle app cost? I don't remember it costing anything, but you can always check the app store, and it'll tell you how much it is. I don't think they charge for the Kindle app because they want you to buy the books. Okay. All right. I'm going to do it right now. There is also a file type called... Moby, it's M-O-B as in Bravo I, and that file type you hear about a lot. It's used for ebooks that do not require the DRM. So you can share Moby books a whole lot more freely than you can the AZW books or the AZW3 books. They don't say much about this anymore, but Moby Pocket was the ebook format. And I think the Moby was pretty much developed from that. The Moby Pocket was developed, I think, in France, and then Amazon bought it out. It's an open standard ebook publishing, so people that want to publish their work in ebooks might use that often to um, publish their books with it if they want to make ebooks. You might hear of a PRC extension that can take complex digital content and complex navigation controls. It supports indexing and a high degree of compression. So that would be a way to get more into a book and to offer wider degree of navigation because sometimes the more complex the navigation is, the easier it is to find your place in a book because you're gonna, you can search by paragraph or page or some, and sometimes I have a hard time finding where I am in a book. And I'm not sure what the file type is because I can't often see the file type unless I go into the device and look in the directory. And so the different kinds of books you can read on a Kindle 
It will support, of course, AZW, because that was the one that was developed by Amazon. It will support TXT, PDF, Audible, Audible Enhanced, and those are the AA and the AAX file extensions. It will support MP3, as we know, because you can play music on it. Unprotected Mobi, PRC, it's a native file type. HTML, DOC, JPEG, GIF, PNG, and of course those last three would be pictures or graphics and we wouldn't really be able to appreciate that. But that's what you could put onto a Kindle. There is another file type called EPUB and it's a free and open standard publishing. So let's see, is that the one you cannot use on a Kindle? I think it is. That's the one you cannot use on a Kindle. But it's, um, I'm looking to see what you can use it on. Because you see EPUB, a lot of times I've seen lists of free books and they'll have EPUB and they'll also have a Mobi edition. And I'm just trying to double check because I don't want to tell you wrong on what devices you can use it. That's the one you can use on an iPhone, an iPad, a Sony Reader, and Android phones. So those are what you want the EPUBs for. And it does say specifically that EPUB cannot be used on a Kindle. So let's take a look at least to see what some of these sound like. This is always a scary thing when you're trying to use technology and you're trying to do it and have it behave. But we all know about that, so I'm going to risk it. Okay. I did not open Kindle on my phone. 520. Uh, let me disconnect this for a second, make sure I'm where I want to be. I have opened the iBooks app on my phone. And I'm sitting in a list of... It's a directory of books, and I have specified these are my Christian, my Christianity um, book, book. God's gonna make you laugh. Noel Jones. Okay. I think that's probably God having a sense of humor about things that go on in our lives. Modern day miracles. Allison C. Riestagno. So let's God's see. God's gonna make you laugh. Noel Jones. Take, if we want to take a look at this, God's gonna make you laugh. I'm going to double tap it. God's gonna books back button. Everyone can relate to walking through very dark periods. Everyone can relate to walking through very dark periods in life, which seem will never end. Noel Jones is not speaking from a vantage point of one who has never suffered. So his words of encouragement and promise carry weight and hope. Sorrow and adversity come, but they do not stay. This book conveys the message that suffering and endurance are preparations for the reward that will come to the one who holds on to and trusts in the faithfulness of God. That one will experience the laughter of triumph. Joy comes in the morning to those who endure. Information. Heading. Language. England. Featured. Tab. Okay. Two and five. I stuck my finger down on there to stop it because it was going to go on to some more book details. And then I, I suppose if I double tap the name again, it would just start reading. So that's kind of what you can do with iBooks. And it'll download. I'm going to tell you about a list that I belong to and I get an email every day. And it's called bookbub.com. That's B-O-O-K. B as in Bravo, B-U-B.com, bookbub.com. And you go and sign up on this list with the internet, and you specify what kind of books, what kind of genres you like to read. And they will send you a list every day. And there are books either, you can even find a few free, one or two or three free each day, or you can buy them for 99 cents or $1.99. And I think I've seen some as much as $3.99. But that's still a lot cheaper than going out and buying hardcover books or buying Audible. And they take up a lot less room. And they're stored in the cloud, so when you have to change computers or whatever, you still have your books. <coughs> it's bookbub.com. It's B-O-O-K-B-U-B.com. Uh-huh. And you can always call me about that. I don't mind. It'll send you an email every day faithfully, Saturday, Sunday included. And, uh, you know, sometimes I read it and sometimes I delete it. And they're only good for like a day or two. They're special deals. So they're only good for a day or two. So if you if you miss Friday, you can forget it by Monday. So it's Yeah. 
Did you have to download your Lex on yours? It showed up on my Kindle All Buy. It's lonesome. It says, by using Alexa, you agree to the terms, uh, license terms, or however they phrase it, and that legalese. But that's all I had to do, and you you tap and then hold your home button, and Alexa makes this interesting tone. And let me see. We'll do that in a second. says Wi-Fi network available. I didn't sign into the Wi-Fi network. So I don't know if we can do Alexa or whatever. Um, let me just let me just disconnect this thing so I can figure out where I'm at. And then I'll show you Kindle. Notice that Kindle has special offers at the bottom of the screen. And there are some, there's this guy, Accessible Electronics, who sells the Kindle without the ads. And I don't know how he does it, but he does it, and I need to find out how to get him off there. Okay. All right. This is a, a list of books that I've downloaded. Some of them will say maybe they haven't downloaded them. But the Kindle is weird. <laughs> to me, it seems weird. It's set up in this grid view across the screen, and I don't really like it. And I don't know if there's a way to change it to list view. But I'm not used to it yet, and it freaks me out sometimes because the screen's so much bigger than a phone. So, let's Top see. Top option bar visible. Cowboys don't cry. Tanner Brothers book one. McAllister. And new. Book downloaded. Selected. Before. Column one. To me, her voice is a little bit harder to understand than the iPhone voice is. But um, you can turn it up or down and plug it into speakers or do all kinds of stuff with it. And, uh, and it's easier to understand sometimes, I guess. No, this, this is a Kindle voice. This is the actual Kindle voice. Um, that's its means of um, speech, as opposed to the Siri voice. I think it's harder to understand. When Van, Rivers, Bobby, and B Book One, Bishop, F, New, Book Downloaded, Book Five, Column Three. So, Wedding Band, there's a nice little romance book for upcoming weddings and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, I can go to, say, Book Club, and I can see a book I want to read, and I can click the Amazon link, it'll take me there. And I verify the price by, you know, finding it on the page, and it'll say, you know, $5.99, Kindle Price Zero, or whatever, and you know that you're getting it for free, and, and if you hit B, at least with JAWS, if you hit B for button, it'll take you to the buy, buy now, and you can just click it, and it shows up on your Kindle all by itself. So, um, it's pretty cool. Um, and I, I did not realize that the Bard app was available until they told us about it at the convention, and I'm tempted to try it but I don't want to fill it up. Now the thing about the Kindle that's cool is you can use an SD card and you can store your stuff on an SD card. Put it in your computer, dump your stuff on there. If you want to put something else from somewhere else on there, just dump it on there and then stick the card back in and you're good to go with Kindle. So I can answer questions or we can do it with different file types, different weeks or try different apps or whatever you guys want to do with that. Otherwise, I think I'm done. Page three. This weekend, March 17 and 18, was the annual American Printing House for the Blind Readers Theater. That happens each March, and the cast are uh, blind and visually impaired people who live in the Louisville area and who want to participate in whatever play or plays are being done that year by the Reader's Theater Troupe. With me on the phone is Sue Ellen Milo. She, this year, was one of the participants, and this was her first year in the Reader's Theater, and um, uh, I hear, Sue Ellen, that you were just tremendous. Um, a lot of people, when they came back to Roundabout after the Printing House play, um, said that you had just done a phenomenal job. So welcome to Sound Prints, and let's just chat a little bit about the process. Okay. Okay. 
The audition for the parts in the play, this year it was plays. There were five short plays. Uh, the auditions happened in early December, and you obviously auditioned, and tell us what happened then. Okay, well, about a week or two after auditions, we got assigned our parts. Okay. And actually, during the audition, we read from some of the, uh, from some of the scripts. The play I read from wasn't the one I ended up in actually, which was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you go in to the audition, they just hand you the script and you read it cold? Well, first you spend a little bit of time uh, chatting with, um, with, Katie, with Katie Carpenter, who is basically the woman in charge. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, she's from the APH Museum. Yes, she's mm-hmm. the direct, director of education. Uh-huh. And then, uh, then you, read, you do a read with, uh, a cold read with her. Mm-hmm. And they had me reading from a play called Sure Thing, which was about dating. Okay. Um, and I ended up being cast, and I think it may have had to do with the fact when we were talking about the plays, I actually knew who Trotsky was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was cast in variations on, a death of Trots- on the death of Trotsky. Mm-hmm. And then about the second week in January, the full cast met, and we had... Um, an essential first read of our scripts together. And then we broke off into smaller groups for each of the the four, the, four, the five remaining. Actually, the students from KSB, they weren't in the first rehearsal with us. Okay. We didn't see them until dress rehearsal, but each play rehearsed together or on, on its own schedule. And in the rehearsals, we went over a lot of things we had to learn we got line notes at the end of each rehearsals to help direct us and we kind of played off each other and experimented with different things mm-hmm. okay so so in your um, play for example you didn't follow the exact script no after a while I, I was lucky for a first-timer and that I was cast with Ian Bray, who was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And we played off each other really, really well. Once we got the hang of learning how to squabble like a proper old married couple, <laughs> talking over each other and stuff, um, we started improving a little. I seemed to be the ringleader of improvisation. Okay. I wanted to add a couple of lines. There's a scene when I just have had enough of his nonsense and I just kind of come unglued mm-hmm. and I added a couple of extra lines that would have been exactly how I would have reacted mm-hmm. and we had a point we we did do a lot of stage movement which surprised me because I had always had the impression that Braille Readers Theater was just like sitting around a table mm-hmm. and doing a table read mm-hmm. like old time radio but they because they we do get sighted people come to these things we want to engage visually so there was stage movement so i came up with this thing at the very end of of trotsky where i move over to his side and i have his hand my hand on his shoulder in a comforting gesture and then he improvised the night of dress rehearsal he came up with this thing where he puts his hand on top of mine just before he croaks for the last time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you practiced um, each week. How, how much time did you put into your practice, both there and did you practice uh, away from APH? Did you practice at home? Well, Ian and I worked together once a week for an hour at the printing house with Katie directing us and giving us our line notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also spent several nights a week for about an hour going over the script and adding my little things like stomping my foot when I was coming unglued and things like that and working out what my accent would sound like, considering the character and working out what she might sound like and things like I can't imagine what my neighbors must have thought hearing me stomping <laughs> <laughs> you wonder don't you <laughs> yelling and yelling a mountain climber's axe <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I would think your neighbors might have been quite intrigued by what was going on <laughs> okay all right so 
so you practice several times a week. You come coming up to the play. Um, you you have you've made a couple of references to dress rehearsal. So yes, the the sixteenth on Thursday night we had a full dress rehearsal. Which when we got there, we spent about an hour or an hour and a half um, working on practicing moving on and off the stage between each play and everything, getting all those kinks worked out. Mm -hmm. And then for that play, we had an audience just to gauge, I guess, how the response. And the audience was students from the Kentucky School for the Blind. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that was also the first time that we interacted with the students uh, who were doing one of the plays. They were doing a separate play of their own um, called, I think it was Variations of Enigma. Okay. Now, were any of those students also in the other place. Yes, uh, one of them, Justin he Hedges, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Mm -hmm. He um, he was also in uh, Variations on a Death of Trotsky, playing my lover, Ramon. Okay, so he practiced with you all then for the first time on Thursday night. Actually, we were able to get some time to work with him at the school for a couple weeks before that. Oh, mm -hmm. he's been in plays before. Yeah. At APH. That's and, what I understand, yeah. Yeah, he's always done a great job. So um, so I'm sure that he was used to the routine. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so here we are. We, we've got the dress rehearsal on Thursday night, and it's Friday, and we're coming up to the big to the big performance you didn't just walk in at quarter to seven and sit down and say oh here we are and there's the audience and so let's do this tell me what friday night was like okay well first we we had a six o'clock call um we were expected to be there by six so we could get our props um we had to, like i had i had to get i had a bracelet that i needed assistance with putting on that looked very mexican and I uh, and I had a, a walking cane. I I decided I just feel more comfortable moving with a cane. So rather than use my blind cane, I just um, or my white cane, I decided okay, Mrs. Trotsky's in her forties or so, so she probably is using a cane. She might have a touch of arthritis, and I happen to have a, a walking cane, a regular walking cane. So I ended up using that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we, you know, we had to get organized. We we did have costumes um, and props and things. Plus, we had our what I call my theater, our theater uniforms. We were all given black T-shirts with the APH uh, Braille Readers Theater logo on them, and we were instructed to um, wear black everything else on our attire: shoes, socks, pants, skirts, whatever, all black. So you get there at six. You're all you 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 show up in your um, t-shirt. Yep, and, in our uniforms. Uh, there. Yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. And we, so what happens? We get our props, and then we had our assigned seats. And uh, Katie uh, helped each helped us to get to our specific assigned seats which could be slightly chaotic because you had some cane users and some dog users and, you know, so that got kind of interesting. And our seats were off in the wings of the stage, mm -hmm. off, to the, off to the side. Okay. Now, they had this at the printing house. Yes. Uh, so did they have this downstairs? It, yeah. I, yeah, we yeah. were all, I, I never, the first never had to go upstairs, no. Right. They um, found out the first year they did it that they had so much interest. I think they expected the first year to put it actually in the museum and they I think they were surprised by how many people were interested and they wound up um, putting that play downstairs that first year. It was uh, The Miracle Worker. And, ah, yeah. Well, yeah. they converted the training room at the mm -hmm. printing house into mm -hmm. a green room. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, and like the second day of performance when we all gathered there before we got our props and things, uh, Mike Hudson had brought in pizza. And uh, um, you, you talked about the guide dogs. Uh, did the guide dogs go on stage with the, with the, uh, the people that had them? Or, or what happened with the dogs? Okay, the, no, the dogs did not go on stage. Um, 
actually it was kind of interesting because for one play we had three dog users all in the same play but uh, <laughs> other people that were still in the wings would hold the dogs i know mm-hmm. when barb henning went up to do universal language i held her dog because we were sitting next to each other mm-hmm. okay so that all went very smoothly um the plays the play happened and you came back and did it the second day did the second day come off pretty much the same as the first or were there changes I felt like the second day I felt even more comfortable with improving. Um, I some things just came together when you're on the stage. Like the the first night, there was a point when I stopped. I didn't respond as quickly as I usually did um, with this one line, and Ian was just about to co- try to cover me, and then I, I, I it came back to me and. I did it, and it really got a laugh, so I thought, I'm going to leave that pause in there. <laughs> Just warned Ian what I was about to do. Now, uh, okay, then that brings up another question. Did you actually read your script, or had you pretty much memorized it? I pretty much memorized it. I used it more as a prompting tool. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were moments in that same production. There's a scene where I have to get up and essentially lose it, mm-hmm. and... As I got up, just impulsively, instinctively, I shut the entire book, mm-hmm. and I hadn't marked my page, so I had to find it again, but I remembered enough that I could more or less cover. So your play was, it, you didn't have just a separate, um, a few pages with your script, it was actually a book? It was, um, yeah, which I actually used as a prop, too, because okay. I'm supposed to be carrying an encyclopedia. I'm oh, Okay. So I use that, and like there's a line where I have to show him a picture, so I hold up the the script um, in his direction mm-hmm. as if I'm showing him a picture. Okay. All right. Well, Sue Ellen, we're going to listen to some of the script. Um, sounds like you had a wonderful time. You plan to do this again? Absolutely. That's that's great. Um, it's it's wonderful that. Um, you know, people, seems like each year there are some people that come back from before, but there's new people that get involved in the theater as well. And uh, so you certainly uh, were great at letting everybody know that it was going to be a, a, a good performance and inviting people. And uh, I've heard from everyone who, who went that they really did enjoy it. So congratulations. And now we're going to listen to a little bit of the play. Uh, I want to get everybody's attention really quick. I want to introduce myself. My name is Mike Hudson. I'm the director of the museum here at the American Printing House of Wine. And we are very proud to uh, uh, have you tonight for our sixth season of Grail Readers Theater here at the American Printing House. We have tried our hand at the Miracle Worker. And uh, we have tried our hand Shakespeare, and uh, we've done a little light comedy, we've done some murder mysteries, and uh, we've even done original plays written by members of our community, which was a lot of fun. This year we're trying our hand at some short plays by a really great modern American writer named David Ives, who's wickedly funny, and we're going to try our hand at that tonight. Our cast has been in rehearsal since January. They have worked their heinies off, <laughs> and they, I think you are going to find tonight uh, uh, just how outstanding our local theater community is here uh, here in, in Louisville. We're very fortunate. I want to especially thank our partners over at the Kentucky School for the Blind. Uh, we really enjoy working with the, with the students over at KSB and getting them involved every year. And uh, Ben Wright, uh, who's sitting back there in the back row back there. Uh, just about couldn't have got it done without all of Ben's uh, uh, administrative intercession, shall we say. Um, so uh, without further ado, um, I give you uh, It's All in the Time. Variations uh, on the death of Chotsky. Oh, sorry. Variations on the death of Trotsky. In Trotsky's study in Coyoacan, Mexico, a large wall calendar announces that today is August 21st, 1940. 
Trotsky is sitting at his desk, writing furiously. The handle of a mountain climber's axe is sticking out of the back of his head. Oh. <coughs> Variation one. The proletariat is right. The proletariat must always be right. And the revolution of proletariat must go on forever. Mrs. Trotsky enters. She is holding a large book. Leon! And forever and forever. Leon, I was just reading the encyclopedia. The, the hearing? Trotsky, Leon. Good. It's about me. <laughs> yes. Listen to this. On August 20th, 1940, a Spanish communist named Ramon Marquega smashed a mountain climber's axe into Trotsky's skull in Coyoacan, a suburb of Mexico City. Trotsky died the next day. What is the year of this encyclopedia? 2017. Strange. Yes. But interesting. Yes. I am Trotsky. Yes, dear. And this is our house in Coyoacan. Yes, dear. And we have Spanish garden in Vermont. Makeda, yes. Ah, and there are no other Trotskys living in Koyaka. <laughs> I don't think so. Not under that name. What is the date today? August 21st, 1940. Then I'm safe. That article says it happens on the 21st. But which Leon. It happened yesterday. Um, and I would um, be dead today. Without the climber's axe smashed into back of skull. But <laughs> Leon. Will capitalist press never get things. But Leon. <laughs> Isn't that the mountain climber's axe sticking out of your skull? It certainly does look like one. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Ramon was in here yesterday telling me about his mountain climbing trip. And now that you mention it, he did have a mountain climber sex with him. I can't remember if he had it when he left the country. <laughs> <laughs> did Ramon report to work on time today? <coughs> <laughs> Trotsky dies. <laughs> Variation three. Funny. I always thought it would be ice cream. <laughs> A mountain climber's axe. A mountain climber's axe! Can't I get that through your skull, you Trotsky dies. <laughs> Variation five. Well, this man is gardener. Yes. At least he is pausing as gardener. Yes. And doesn't that make him member of the proletariat? I'd say so. Then what's he doing smashing a mountain climber's axe into my skull? I don't know. Have you been oppressing him? Why would Ramon have done this to me? Maybe he's a literalist. A what? A literalist. Maybe Ramon ran into Manuel yesterday. You know Manuel, the head guard. I know who Manuel is. I know you know who Manuel is. <laughs> One of these days, Mrs. Trotsky. <laughs> Maybe Ramon asked him, will Mr. Trotsky have time to look at the nostalgiums today? And maybe he said, I don't know. Ask Mr. Trotsky. <laughs> or maybe he was just a hut to trust. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he just wanted to 
Stop it! Stop it! Trotsky dies. Variation six. Call Ramon in here. Ramon! You'll better get him quickly. I have mountain climber's axe buried in scalp. Ramon! Come quickly! <coughs> Ramon enters wearing a sarape. Good morning, senor. Oh Good morning, Ramon. Please, have a seat. <laughs> See, you, we have very good employer-employee relations here. <laughs> Ramon, did you bury this mountain climber's axe into my skull? I did not bury it, senor. I smashed it. Excuse <laughs> me! <laughs> you, you see, you can still see the handle. <laughs> truly on. The axe isn't entirely out of sight. So we cannot say buried. We can only say smashed. Or perhaps... All right. <laughs> all right. On August 20th, 1940, a Spanish communist named Ramon Marqueda smashed a mountain climber's axe into Trotsky's skull in Coyoacan, south of Mexico City. Trotsky died the next day. It gives you a little hope about the world, doesn't it? <laughs> that a man could have mountain climber's axe smashed into his skull and yet live on for one more day? <laughs> Maybe I will go look at Mr. Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Trotsky dies. <laughs> Page four. Following are two related articles that were posted on the ACB lists in the last couple of weeks. First, on March 12, Joel Snyder, the director of the American Council of the Blind Audio Description Project, posted an article with the subject line, UC Berkeley, Deleting Public Access to Online Content. This article was originally posted on March 6, 2017, and reads as follows. The University of California, Berkeley, will cut off public access to tens of thousands of video, pictures, and podcasts in response to a U.S. Justice Department order that it make the educational content accessible to people with disabilities. Today, the content is available to the public on YouTube, iTunes U, and the university's webcast.berkeley website. On March 15, the university will begin removing the more than 20,000 audio and video files from those platforms, a process that will take three to five months, and require users to sign in with University of California credentials to view or listen to them. The university will continue to offer massive open online courses on edX and said it plans to create new public content that is accessible to listeners or viewers with disabilities. Kathy Koshlin, Vice Chancellor for Undergraduate Education, made the announcement in a March 1 statement. This move will also partially address recent findings by the Department of Justice, which suggests that the YouTube and iTunes U content meet higher accessibility standards as a condition of remaining publicly available, Koshlin said. Finally, moving our content behind authentication allows us to better protect instructor intellectual property from pirates who have reused content for personal profit without consent. The Justice Department, following an investigation in August, determined that the university was violating the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. The department reached that conclusion after receiving complaints from two employees of Gallaudet University. 
saying Berkeley's free online educational content was inaccessible to blind and deaf people because of a lack of captions, screen reader compatibility, and other issues. Stacy Nowick, one of the complainants, referred comments to the Justice Department and the National Association of the Deaf. The NAD did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The department ordered the university to make the content accessible to people with disabilities. Berkeley, however, publicly floated an alternative, removing everything from the public view. In many cases, the requirements proposed by the department would require the university to implement extremely expensive measures to continue to make these resources available to the public for free, Koshlin wrote in a September 20 statement. We believe that in a time of substantial budget deficits and shrinking state financial support, our first obligation is to use our limited resources to support our enrolled students. Therefore, we must strongly consider the unenviable option of whether to remove content from public access. Now the university has settled on that option. Koshland said that Berkeley has since 2015 piloted requiring university credentials to access recorded lecture content. That system has so far proved more effective at helping the university accommodate students and others at Berkeley with disabilities. The Justice Department's investigation did not look at how Berkeley serves students with disabilities, only the accessibility of content it offers to the public. The next article is a press release issued by the American Council of the Blind in response to this article. This press release is entitled, ACB Response to Berkeley Webcasts Removal. It was posted on March 15 by Kelly Gask on the ACB Leadership List, and it reads, For immediate release, contact Anthony Stevens, astevens at acb.org, ACB Response to Berkeley Webcast Removals The American Council of the Blind raises concern over the University of California Berkeley's recent response to an August 2016 settlement between the U.S. Department of Justice, DOJ, and the nation's leading public university following a determination that the university was publicly posting inaccessible online lectures. Starting today, Berkeley will no longer provide content via popular open access learning channels like iTunes U and will begin moving over 20,000 videos onto a password protected platform reserved for only individuals with university credentials. The university, in a statement released March 1, cited cost as the driving factor for its inability to make the publicly available lectures accessible. It's deeply troubling that a university such as Berkeley, renowned for its spirit of inclusion and advancement of disability rights, would choose to build a wall behind its publicly accessible lectures, rather than find a means toward making their content accessible for all, said Eric Bridges, American Council of the Blind Executive Director. Advancements in accessible technology have made significant strides in finding alternative means to make online media accessible, raising the question if the university exhausted all possible options for accessibility before pulling the plug on its open access content. The complaint settled by DOJ was brought by two students at Gallaudet University. The investigation focused on media produced by the university and made available through its website free of charge. The settlement did not include material created for use by students at the public institution who are directed to contact the Office for Disabled Students regarding accessibility needs. Berkeley has committed to make all future media accessible to individuals with disabilities, including those who are deaf, hard of hearing, or for individuals who are blind and visually impaired. The American Council of the Blind stands with the students at Gallaudet and all others with disabilities who desire nothing more than full inclusion to online media content, added Bridges. 
It sends a strong negative message when one of the world's leading providers of freely available online course content takes such a drastic measure as to remove tens of thousands of learning opportunities for everyone. The American Council of the Blind urges the university to find innovative solutions that make accessible media publicly accessible for all, securing equal access at the same time as it promotes the spirit of free and open knowledge. The American Council of the Blind is the nation's leading grassroots consumer organization representing Americans who are blind and visually impaired. With 70 affiliates, the American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality, and opportunity, and improve the quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Learn more by visiting www.acb.org. Send to Braille is a free tool for creating a Braille file quickly in Windows. It adds a shortcut to your Send to Folder menu. Once installed, simply point to a file, right-click, select Send To, select Braille, to create a quick Braille file instantly. Download Send To Braille from the American Printing House for the Blind at tech.aph.org lt. APH offers the easy-to-use Wilson Digital Recorder version 6. Holds up to 12 hours of messages. Choose higher voice quality with less recording time or more recording time with lower voice quality. Now has the ability to check the number of saved messages. For the Wilson Digital Recorder, call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free 800-223-1839 or visit shop.aph.org. Page 5, The Sound Prince Calendar. March 24 is another Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout with Tech Tips, Genealogy, and Braille beginning at 3.30. The 5 o'clock discussion time will include a meeting of our new book club and book sources and tips. This is at 5 to 6 p.m. and is sponsored by the Tri-State Library users. There will also be another activity in the discussion time as well. Dinner is at 6, $5 per person, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. Call 895-4598 to sign up. On March 27, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana will hold their monthly meeting by conference call at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On March 31 will be the final roundabout of the month, 3.30 to 5, Education and Technology, 5 o'clock discussion, 6 o'clock dinner, and 7 to 10 games and crafts at United Crescent Hill Ministries. On April 2, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Committees will meet by conference call with Advocacy at 7, Education and Technology at 8, and Activities at 9. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On April 4, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have their monthly conference call meeting and program. It's at 8 p.m. on the 605-475-6006 conference line. You'll have a chance to learn more about CCLVI with a guest speaker from the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International Board. On April 5, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And on April 6, the American Council of the Blind Lions will hold their conference call meeting for the month. Blind Lions from around the country are invited to attend this call. It's a chance to share ideas and ways to be involved in local clubs. We'll also be doing some other planning and discussing some changes in our Constitution and bylaws. The call is at 9 p.m. and the phone number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On April 7, GLCB will have a roundabout which follows the usual schedule. And on April 8, 
the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its board meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call on the 605-475-6006 conference line. The code is 294444. April 9, KCB Next Generation will also meet on the same conference line. Their meeting will be at 8 p.m. and all individuals 40 and under are welcome to attend this meeting. On April 9, ACB Families will have its telephone workshop at 9 p.m. The call-in number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. April 11, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have their April meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. The program will be announced. On April 13, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold their next support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Get low vision tips and tricks from Jennifer Gendeman from the Kentucky Lion's Eye Foundation. For more information, call 502-895-4598. April 13, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have their monthly conference call at 7 p.m. The call-in number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. For more information about NKCB, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. April 14 is another GLCB roundabout following the usual schedule. April 16 the KSB alumni will have their April board meeting at 8 p.m. April 17 is the KCB board meeting at 7.30 p.m., both on the conference line 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On April 22, there will be a Clifton walking tour. From 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., Join APH for a walking tour of the Clifton neighborhood, starting at the historic 1883 building on the grounds of the American Printing House for the Blind. We'll learn about the evolution of the area from a sparsely populated rural community in 1830 to a densely settled urban Louisville neighborhood. Free, but best for older children and adults. For more information, call APH Museum at 502-899-2213. Some future activities include May 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its annual Derby Party on Derby Day, of course, 10.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. On May 27, there will be a bell cruise. Join the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation for a lunch cruise on the Bell of Louisville. Call Amanda Selm at 502-750-1774 for more information. On June 10, KCB Next Generation invites everyone to an all-council picnic at the Brown Park in Louisville, sponsored by Next Generation, and more details will be coming soon. June 30 to July 7 is the 56th ACB National Conference and Convention in Reno, Nevada. Call KCB at 502-895-4598 for more information or visit www.acb.org. August 4 and 5 is the 2017 Reunion of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association at the Ramada Inn North on Zorn Avenue in Louisville. For more information, call Adam or Carla Rushevel at 502-897-1472. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.